Yo, can you hear me out there? What up, though? This is episode 142, Hip Hop Migration, starring Aline of the Laptop Chronicles. And I got a special guest appearance from my dad. Um, call him up and ask him about the migration of my, my family in general from Virginia to New York. Um, this episode was really dope. Um, it, it was like ugh, spurring them on. We had end up just coming up with episodes now and the conversations are organic. Um, shout out to everybody. I didn't get any shout outs on this episode. So, um, shout out to 420 Wrap Up. Shout out to Coach Class Podcast. Shout out to This Ain't No Podcast, The Roundtable. Um, shout out to my man, Norm. As always, go stream Norm Music. And uh, shout out to Big Sis Stace. Smoking Vibe Podcast is on the way. Boom, 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 boom. Let's see. Shout out to It's, shout out to it's Pretty destined the podcast i keep on pretty you know i got love for you girl uh shout out to uh shit vegan that's lauren's page just thank y'all so much i really want y'all to really get into this episode niggas was really partying um of course aline brayton's the history portion and we just really go from like a, a wide range of topics on hip hop and migration and just everything in general that we need to learn about our culture. Just thank y'all so much. I ain't gonna hold y'all. Uh, here's the episode. But this is how I feel. I feel like hip hop being a black culture yes. in general, right? Yes. So it's a black culture in general, but who runs it? Who's the one that actually, who are the people that actually make the decisions and cut the checks and stuff like that. And that's how it's always been. I got books on migration and black people. Um, God damn it. And I know I'm going to find it when you leave. And I'm going to be like, fuck, I should have said that. Um, but that's, that's my whole thing. All right, so... The, the main class that made me think about this shit was a class that was called African... The one I sent you to pay before. Uh-huh. African-American Music and Migration. So, my, my professor at the time, she had put out a book on Bessie Smith. Mm-hmm. Right? And Bessie Smith was, I think, Lil' Kim, Meg Thee Stallion um, in the 1930s. Remember the movie with Queen Latifah on HBO? The one where she where, where she showed her titties and everybody was into that movie. Oh, okay. That's that's the character she was playing. Very, very vulgar, very sexual. Um, she was bisexual, which was unheard I won't say unheard of, it wasn't common. You know what I'm saying? But she was living her life, mm-hmm. right? So that that that's what Dr. Scott was focusing on. But this class, she started with um, what we call field hollies, slaves working in the fields, right? That's that's why they say you know shit like oh you know they're very musical people. Yes, it's it's literally in our blood to be musical, mm. to be, you know, what I'm saying that's that that's just something that comes from us being in Africa, right? And that never changed because that's how you know our ancestors got through. Those harsh ass mm-hmm. ninety degree helpless pastime. Yeah, 
So it's only natural that, you know, it, when slaves escaped, they left the Eastern Shore, they left Virginia, they left Mississippi. And when you look at the, the routes of the way that the major interstates run, you know, a lot of, a lot of people like Emmett Till, mm. his mom lived in Chicago, but where did his grandfather live? Mississippi. So if you look at where Mississippi goes, it goes straight up to Chicago. Mm-hmm. So people followed that road, right? Um, your pops is from New York, mm-hmm. right? But his people is from Virginia. So where does I ninety five run? Ah, straight up. Ah. Straight up. <laughs> My people are from Georgia. Mm. I seventy five runs from Atlanta mm-hmm. right up through Detroit. Mm-hmm. You know, so. For my grandfathers, um, who left who left Georgia, uh, or for for like most of my family, because one of my grandfathers is from North Carolina, but they all was going to Detroit for the car factory jobs. Mm. Look at look at L.A. Yo, a lot of people from L.A. was moving from was moving to L.A. in the '30s and '40s because what was in L.A. Think about 30s and 40s, you had World War II. Uh-huh. So they were going from Louisiana and Texas out to L.A. to work in the airplane factories that were building the bombers for the war. Yo, this shit is crazy. Two things. That's crazy you say that. So let's go to Rowdy Rich. Mm-hmm. Rowdy Rich is from L.A., but he said his family is from New Orleans. Like, even with my 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 dad's uh, stepfather, or my, well, pretty much my grandfather, mm-hmm. but... They, the family lived in Virginia, but his job was in New York mm-hmm. doing, um, I want to say, M- MTA. Hold up. Yeah, I'm going to call my dad real quick. Because I, I want to get that, I want to get that right. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that's how it, how I set up. Oh, I can put it on that map. Oh, that's what happened. Yo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Real, real quick. I got a question, right? Grandpa Strand, everybody lived in Virginia, but Grandpa Strand worked in New York, right? What was his job? He worked for the racetrack as a groom. Mm. He kept the horses. All right, because we, we're on the um, podcast, and we're talking about just, like, the different migrations or, like, how, like, for instance, our family being in Virginia and then the next step was straight up 95 to go to New York. And Aline was talking about how his family was originally from Georgia and taking, was I-70? I-75. I-75 straight up to mm-hmm. get to Detroit and how people from, like, Emmett Till, mom was from Chicago, but his grandfather lived in Mississippi, just like the, the the straight shot roads from like how people migrated and stuff of that nature. Okay. Yeah, he worked for. Uh, they did the. They called them the trotters. They, the guys. They was in the little buggies and the horse pull mm-hmm. They wasn't like the horseback like they do out at Pimlico. Okay. So it was like a, you know, like a little buggy with the whip and all of that. But he took care of the horses. Okay. That was his job. Was that common back then? 
What you mean? In the sense of people typically going from, uh, at least in our family, like from Virginia to New York. Oh, what was the next next city that they would go to or state that they would go to? Would it always be New York, or would we migrate like down south, further down south, or was it always uh, uh, up north kind of thing? Well, the Strands they went as far as New York, and then the Costas. Most of them, some of them went to New York and then they started to move to Massachusetts. So the majority of the family ended up in Massachusetts. Okay. That's why uh, Aunt Barbara was the first one of the immediate family to go up there. But we have other relatives up there. That's how she got there. Mm. Okay. So when she went to, went to college up there and then Grandma Bessie and Grandpa James, they moved up there in the, in the mid, no, the early 70s. So that's how Pam and Janice, Butch, Debbie, and all of them went to school up there. And then they ended up moving back down to Virginia. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Oh yeah, that that was it. I was just just curious. We just was deep diving in a conversation and just it, it everything started to make sense. Even even down to certain rappers being from. Uh, Lean was talking. Wait, what, what were you saying about California and World War Two? A lot of people was moving from Louisiana and Texas out to L.A. Mm-hmm. to work in the in the bomber plants for the war. Okay. Yeah, like in um, it was a. I remember that only because so I remember. One of the newer rappers, Rowdy Rich, was saying, although he's from Compton, he spent time in Louisiana because his grandmother lived in Louisiana. A lot of people they migrated from the South because of you know job situations uh-huh. and racism. Mm-hmm. It was a little better going to the cities, especially jobs. Most of the people went to New York, Chicago, Detroit, L.A. because mm-hmm. of the job situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, get away from farming and carrying on. Yeah. Okay. All right, man. That's it. Appreciate you. All right. So, like, my grandfather, my my dad's dad, he was from Statesville, North Carolina. And that's why I say I grew up with him. You know, he, he was born and lived on the plantation that his parents were born on. And his grandparents worked. You know, it's only two generations from him mm-hmm. for slavery. In Statesville, North Carolina, when he got a chance to go to Detroit, he was like, I ain't never going back down south. Mm-hmm. So that's what we grew up hearing. Now, my grandfather was born in 1914, right? I was born in 79. Mm-hmm. He moved up to Detroit in the 20s. And then, like, my mom's dad um, moved up in the 20s. They wasn't going further south because the south... You know, Georgia, Virginia, Florida, mm-hmm. Alabama. You know, you think of Florida, you got Rosewood. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I'm saying? My my mom's mom, so that would be my great, excuse me, my great-grandmother was from Cordell, Georgia. Her father and his son were lynched. So the family was like, we out of here. Mm-hmm. We ain't never going back to Georgia. And that's how they ended up in Detroit. They took, if you look... So that's where Cordell, Georgia is. That's I-75 right there. Mm-hmm. And I-75 goes up to Macon, 
So my dad's mom was from Macon, mm-hmm. right? So then I-75 shoots through Atlanta, but mm-hmm. it's still in the south. And then it goes up to Chattanooga, hits Knoxville. Yeah, let me zoom in a little bit. And then you hit Kentucky, still the south. Mm-hmm. Right? Cincinnati is on that border, but it ain't much, you know, in terms of jobs there. Goes right up through Ohio, ain't shit in Toledo. The next big city is Detroit. Mm. All the jobs for the cars is here. Mm-hmm. So you see, and then if you look over here, Chicago, this is, well, I think this is 40, I 55, I think. I 57. Okay, yeah, 57, 55. So Chicago, which was big for meatpacking, um, you come on down. So now you're looking at Kentucky, on down through Tennessee. You got Arkansas, and now you down into, I got some family from there too, Memphis, on down into Mississippi. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So the migration has always been there. So you got um, the blues. Mm-hmm. Right, you got Phil Hollers from the Slaves. You got the blues. You know the music transformed into the blues, um, and jazz. But it, when you move in north, you bring in, you bring in, what you know. So say say for example, say for example. I'm I'm the older brother, right? You you live in. On the on the sharecropping plantation with mama and dad and grandparents and all of that, and you dealing with you know so you seen that shit. And I'm like yo, fuck it, I'm out. I moved to Chicago. I might be up there for a year. I'm acclimated to Chicago life, mm-hmm. right? But I'm bringing that Mississippi with me. Mm-hmm. So you got I'm blended, right? So my music is different. I got the Mississippi music. I'm learning the Chicago swag. Now it's turning to something different. Mm-hmm. You come up. You now you're getting that flavor, and you bring in your flavor to it. So now you add into that pot, mm-hmm. and then it, it just becomes a melting pot of every everything. So whereas we might know Mississippi blues, now it's transformed into Chicago soul, mm-hmm. and then we might have some cousins who might go to Detroit. We interact with them. Mm-hmm. Now we got a whole nother form of music, a whole nother genre of music. Mm-hmm. So it's it's you know if you think about it in terms of that. So so that class I took, you know, she was talking about um, migration of music from her her perspective, and she she's about ten years older than me. She said, "All right, so y'all project is to to talk about music and migration and da 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 da." And one cat was from Jamaica, so he naturally he did reggae music. Mm-hmm. Me. But I wanted to do hip hop, mm-hmm. and I told her, I said, Doctor Scott, I want to talk about hip hop and how it's changed, but you know it's a lot of cussing and this and that. And she told me she she said you can talk about whatever you want just as long as you frame it right. So that's where that paper comes from, mm-hmm. to where I'm talking about Ti in Atlanta, mm-hmm. talking about you know like did did you listen to that thing? I forgot to play it. Um, where Michael Eric Dyson was talking about 
each each go round of music, somebody's adding to it, and so that elevates the music higher and higher. Mm-hmm. It's funny that you talk about migration and uh, migration of the music. Uh, did you did you watch the No Limit um thing? No, man. man. I, Two episodes is really good. So the first couple episodes, they basically talked about how um, his upbringing um, and how his upbringing was like kind of upbringing was like kind of wild. Like so, so basically it was uh, him, C Murder, Silk the Shocker. They had a sister and they had a, a brother. So it was five of them in total. Mm-hmm. Um, the his one of his brothers. Um, Kevin, it, that was the one that was murdered. Yeah. So Kevin and P lived with the father, and the other three lived with the mom. Mm-hmm. So um, he was explaining how, with him and his brother, they were living in a household of like damn near like fourteen people in like a two or three bedroom house or mm-hmm. apartment in a project. And um, then he talked about going through school and once he um, he's good at basketball, so he went through from. Catholic school. His grandfather put him in Catholic school. So Catholic school all the way to high school and then going to one high school to another where he played basketball with his brother. Now we're going to skip a couple things and talk about him going to Oakland. Mm -hmm. Him, uh, his ex-wife, Sonia, had family in Richmond. So that's how they ended up in Richmond, California. In Richmond, California, that's where they opened up the No Limit Records store. Mm-hmm. And he, him interacting with, like, you know, the local artists. So the artists in Cali in general, he realized he could, he could rap himself. Mm-hmm. But everybody picked up on the fact that he's a Southern artist. Mm-hmm. He's a Southern mm-hmm. artist. But what ended up happening, we're going fast forward again. He goes back to New Orleans and he finds out he finds out about Mia X, goes to another record store that happens to be in New Orleans that she works at, and he recruited her. Mm-hmm. Told her, all right, get your stuff. We're going to go to Cali. They go to Cali. She wasn't feeling a producer, so she got the whole Beats by the Pound guys to come. It was her and Swerve on, Mr. Swerve on. Um, it was a package deal. They were like, either you take me, you, or you got to take all of us, or you can't take me. Right. But they all went to Cali and took that New Orleans flavor and did it in Cali. That's how you got bout about it, mm-hmm. and just like all these different things. Like even the thing that I like that Master P did was he started a West Coast group called the West Coast Bad Boys, which ended up being just a compilation of all the different artists that were already in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. So the, the Rapid Fortes, uh, fuck, what's his name? Um, JT Bigger Figure. Okay, like yeah, 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 so yeah. he used. He used that as a platform. He used all the local artists, putting them all to, together on a tape, yep. producing it. Uh, well, pretty much having it distributed through him. It, it was just, it was crazy. Then he did the same thing when he went to New Orleans and had a compilation called the Down South Hustlers. Mm-hmm. But I say all that to say the migration from the New Orleans style. Although he went to California and even brought them to California, they still was true to their roots of that. Bounce music. And, and peep, peep this. All right, so this is my career Dyson. The irresistible appeal of black individuality. Where has all of that gone? 
the very people who blazed our path to self-expression and pioneered a resolutely distinct and individual voice have too often succumbed to mind-numbing sameness and been seduced by simply repeating what we hear, what somebody else said or thought, and not digging deep to learn what we think or what we feel or what we believe. Now, it is true that the genius of African culture is surely its repetition, but the key to such repetition was that new elements were added each go-round. Every round goes higher and higher. Mm -hmm. Something fresh popped off the page or jumped from a rhythm that had been recycled through the imagination of a writer or a musician. So, wait, because I had a conversation with Vic, and we were talking about, because I, I don't know if you know, I'm working on... And initially, I was at work doing it, and I didn't see anything for the first three months up until now. I I, I looked at the book when we got when I got home, okay. but initially, what I seen was yikes. Initially, what I seen was it went straight to Hammer in March, and me and Vic had that conversation about. Um, it was a lot. The Wu Tang released the Cream and all that prior to, but. He said, uh, just a question with Hammer. Why did you feel like he was still relevant? That's that's the guy who was speaking. This is the book that he wrote. Yeah, my, I know, man. Yeah. Light-skinned guy huge, from Harvard. Huge non-spin. Yeah, uh, it was Harvard, right? Georgetown. Georgetown, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He uh, he did Jay-Z book, too. Uh, decoded. That's yeah. yeah, he yeah. did Decoded and the other one. It's the most recent one. The recent one. Mm -hmm. yeah. I haven't seen that one yet. So when he was talking about it, like each go round, it elevates. So I, I was talking about um the MC Hammer shit, right? So basically, uh, is when he like you know took the turn to like the gangster rap shit. Uh -huh. So um, I'm not gonna give all of that, but it was one particular part. I was like the popularity in G Funk music and West Coast and West Coast artists in general seemed like he wanted to ride the wave. Plus, because of the new sound, he was deemed corny. And Vic was like, well, corny from the jump, but played himself with those G-Funk records. And I said, but why was he corny? He said, let me rephrase it. It's different from the norm East Coast hip hop. Wasn't really respected different sounds, but it was definitely commercial. So then I go on to ask again, let me ask you this. When people from your era say this or that isn't hip hop, is it because it's not street or is it because commercializing the genre directly shows the impact of white people within the culture? The last part, no. Okay. And we got to go to Philly and have this conversation with this guy, this hip hop head, this white dude from the street. Um, big hip hop fan. Mm -hmm. We literally had this conversation yesterday or the other day. He was basically saying, because I, I said something about West Coast artists in the 90s, mm -hmm. him being from West Philly, part of West Philly, mm -hmm. and he tagging. He was saying that, I forgot what what artist I said, but he was like, nah, I didn't really listen to none of that because I'm I'm straight New York hip-hop. I'm East Coast hip-hop. Because he was basically saying, and that's where I say people from New York, not from New York, but from Philly up to New York, mm -hmm. kind of in that bubble, mm -hmm. felt like because hip-hop was created in New York, most of the artists were from New York, New York artists have always felt like they... Please stop. Stop right there. Stop right there. That's what I was saying. And that's... That, for me, extends past hip-hop. 
Because yes. New York people in general, and this is no not to New York people, because all my family's from that area or grew up. All my siblings were born in New York. I'm the only one born down here, but I feel like they feel like they're the only people that exist. And that's New York. Yep. Period. It, exactly. Exactly. So, like with with the music, it's like it's Wu Tang or nothing. It's Mob Deep or nothing. And if you don't listen to them, like Norm. Yeah, Mob Deep fan to the death, Nas fan to the death, but I don't listen to them. Yep. So it's kind of like sometimes, like I say, damn, I ain't never heard of this. It might present to, it might, it might, it might be like shocking to most people, like because if I'm not, if I don't listen to it, I mean, I don't know nothing about none of this shit. Right. Like I'm hearing some of this shit for the first time, gangsta. A lot of this shit I was listening to. Within the last two years, I've never heard of that shit. I was listening to Gangsta '94 album. Um, of of fuck, I I just mass, not mass appeal. No, no, no. Um, uh, something heads or something. Uh, the white cover. No, no, no. It's a brown joint. Fuck, where's that? I just just seen it. Um. Uh, hard to earn. Yeah, hard to earn. Hard yeah, to yeah, earn. Yeah, that's what I and I was listening to that shit, and I was telling Vic, I was like, that's my first time listening to that album. Mm-hmm. But the production on that was fucking amazing. I really, no disrespect, and God bless the dead, but I I don't really care for Guru's uh, verses, but the production was what really caught my eye because that shit was in 94, and it sounds so advanced. So this is why, I, and I'm to, I told my man Mike this, this is why I say we got to talk about more than just rapping mm-hmm. and rappers because I watched um, an interview that Chuck D gave and he was talking about Ice Cube going to New York. Yep. So you got Ice Cube who's coming out of that West Coast, NWA, you know, that era. And so he's bringing his flavor to New York. And the bomb so, squad and the did that whole album. Oh yeah. So you had a blending of cultures in mm-hmm. because Chuck D said he was like, "Yeah, um, burn Hollywood, burn." Mm-hmm. He said Ice Cube wasn't even supposed to be on the track. He just walked in the studio. He was in the studio. Yeah. He was like, "Yo, let me get on that." Mm-hmm. So now you got a blending of cultures. Mm-hmm. You got a blending of sound. Mm-hmm. America's Most Wanted, one of the greatest albums that the bomb squad produced if not the greatest because you had and it was the ice cube flavor so you had people on the west coast who knew ice cube from nwa they was like all right but what cube cube is east mm-hmm. word so now they hearing a new sound mm-hmm. so imagine dre being a producer even though they was button heads mm-hmm. so he's like yo that's my man i'm gonna listen to it on the low Mm-hmm. So now he's hearing new production mm-hmm. that he may not have ever heard, but because his man was over there, mm-hmm. now he's hearing it. So now you got the Bomb Squad, and you you got the Bomb Squad musical genius. Mm-hmm. You got Dre's musical genius. Mm-hmm. So now Dre is like each each round goes higher and higher. Mm-hmm. So the Bomb Squad is here. Dre is here. So Dre hears the bomb squad, and now he's like, shit, now he's up here because he didn't add it. He didn't took a little bit. Mm -hmm. Oh, they did this. Oh, they did this. They did this. Well, let me try that. Mm -hmm. Boom, 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 boom. Start experimenting with the sounds, and you get... So when when did America's Most... um, 91. 91. Mm -hmm. So that sound could have influenced the chronic, doggy style. All those those albums that came at it solely because... 
you see what he's doing. Big Daddy came to Jay Z. Yep. Uh, rock him to Nas. And, and so that's where, if you listen to the interview, if you listen to any interview, well, what the two I listened to was uh, the two guys, the two white guys, the podcast. It's a waste of time with It's The Real. It's what? The Real. And then um, if you listen to the Quest Love Supreme episode with CeeLo, mm-hmm. Big Boy and CeeLo both said the same thing, that out that uh, Atlanta was kind of left out because hip-hop was all is always New York and L.A., basketball has always been New York and LA. The country has always been New York and LA. Those mm-hmm. are the two epicenters and then there's just everything in between. Mm-hmm. So Atlanta, they was like, well, we really don't have, it's not like we have to listen to New York. We have to listen to LA. We're going to listen to everything. Yeah. And so they was soaking everything up. So then they, so imagine they're, they're hearing the ghetto boys, they're taking a little bit from that. They're taking a little bit from UGK. Mm-hmm. They're taking a little bit from DJ Quick. They're taking a little bit from Sir Mix-A-Lot. A little bit from E-40. Now they're taking a little bit from the Bomb Squad. Taking a little bit from Jay-Z. Mm-hmm. Taking a little bit from Nas, from Premier. And they just putting it all together. And then they coming up with their own sound, which might have 10 elements, and it does this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call Vic right now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna see if we can. I keep meaning to get to text him and tell him to come over. Get a, a uncandid uh, view on migration of now, music. Where's Vic from? I want to say Vic is from New York. Okay, but we gotta double check because I I feel like he is, and I mean just talking to him, and nigga come across like a New York nigga, right. like 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 no. <laughs> I'm trying to find this episode where he. When he, when he talked to this guy making shoes. Yo, T Pain is fucking hilarious. Uh, yes, he is. T, I always say T Pain, Red Man, T Pain, Red Man, and um, T Pain, Red Man, and it was somebody else. And Jay Z, I would love to just to be around them, just to, cause I feel like they're funny. And they don't. Well, I know with Jay Z, he doesn't even realize. I think he realized it, but it's like a sarcastic funny. Mm-hmm. Um. T Pain and Red Man are just blatantly just funny. Hilarious. Like, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, but that's no different than me putting Kristen on to uh, Chopped and Screwed music. Mm-hmm. That that right there, and and what's crazy about that, the premiere song that every every artist from Houston raps over, and Drake sample is is it's called DJ Screw Day. Whatever that song is, the beat is actually a Criss Cross song. It's I a Jermaine. I think you're talking about. Is Jermaine Dupri uh, brought it up in an interview, and I had no idea. I had no idea that that song even existed. Mm-hmm. But again, it's like a DJ, which the, the, the DJs are so important to hip hop because they're the one that bridge the gap from different places. They're the ones that run the music essentially. Mm-hmm. Like nobody runs nothing. Unless the DJ makes it cool. Which, if you go back to the beginning of hip-hop, mm-hmm. Cool Herc mm-hmm. took the speakers, put them together. Now he made a louder sound. And it was all beats. Mm-hmm. So now everybody's partying. And then from there, because hip-hop started with the DJs. Mm-hmm. So you got Grandmaster Flash who figured out, I'm going to throw I can I can do these breaks. 
So he took what Herc did and he put a spin on mm-hmm. it. Now he elevated it. Mm-hmm. Right? So he did that. And then you got uh fuck all, all the DJs from mm-hmm. the 70s, from the that 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 first generation. Mm-hmm. And like you say, that's where they were running it because they were like, all right, we put the brakes in it. So the girls are coming to the party. The dudes from the gangs is like, all right, we tired of fighting and killing. Mm-hmm. So you put your best dude in the circle. I put my best dude in the circle. And instead of fucking stabbing and shooting each other, now we, mm-hmm. so now we dancing. And the girls at the party, we ain't trying to fuck up the party. So now we dancing at the party. Mm-hmm. The DJ is controlling the party. With how he's doing it, that's mm-hmm. how. You, that's how I think about it. No, no, that's absolutely right. And just how the shit went from a motherfucker playing his regular vinyls on the record player to the breaks, the scratching, to people not only using their hands but using their nose, using their mouth, you just uh, all this different tricks that mm-hmm. each go round goes higher and, and higher. See it every time. Yep, this shit is is. It's amazing, and all this comes from black culture. Yeah, black culture, and it comes out of it. It comes out of uh, disparity, honestly. Yeah. Have you ever seen there? There's a there's a documentary. Damn, this, I'm gonna find an episode. Um, there's a documentary, Rebel Kings. Yeah, I, you told me to watch it. It was on Netflix. I watched it. Yeah, so, yeah. So when you see Rebel Kings, and there's a new one that came out, um, remix. No, oh, no, I think that's about hip hop fashion. Yeah, 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 that's about fashion. Okay, but there's one that's I Puffy see. Baby Mother that's doing that. Nisa, yep. Yeah, I, I saw it on I saw it on Facebook. That's that's what it was. But they were talking about how the the blacks and Latinos of the Bronx actually saved the Bronx mm. because they had nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Because when Robert Moses they built that highway through the Bronx and it split the Bronx up. And the white people are running out of the Bronx. Mm-hmm. The economics of the Bronx took shit mm-hmm. because there were no jobs. You know, so you got poor, you got poor black and brown people. Um, and they were like, shit, dude, we ain't got nowhere to go, so we gotta save our borough. We gotta do whatever we can to make this livable for us. Mm-hmm. And so from that disparity comes hip hop. From that disparity comes hurt, saying, damn, this shit is fucked up. You know what? I'm going to make everybody feel good. I'm going to put some music on. So put the speakers together. Boom. Now he got a block party. Right? So he's doing his thing, and you got some scratching, and then his sister's in college, and then it's like, okay, shit, I'm having a party at 1520 Sedgwick. I need a DJ. Hey, my brother's a DJ. Hurt. Can you, or Clive, can you, can you DJ? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now that's the first official party. Culture is born. Mm-hmm. Out of people just trying to feel good about being in their surroundings. You know what I'm saying? So um, uh, I saved it. That's too far down on my Facebook. Um, um, okay, watch this. This is from 1959. And I want you to tell me what that looks like. That looks like B-Bomb. 1959. Guess where? Where? Nigeria. Mm. That's always been in our blood, bro. 
That's crazy. And it's set up just like a B-Boy circle. There you go. Now tell me how many people from the Bronx would have gone to Nigeria in 1959? Oh, God. And that's, honestly, that's probably without niggas even realizing what was going on over there. So that's why, that's why things like Pan-Africanism, mm -hmm. I talk about because our cultures are so connected mm -hmm. just through metaphysics. Now they put the beat on there, uh -huh. but that's us. Mm -hmm. That's literally us, 1959. And this British uh, historian just so happened to be filming that. Okay, where is this located at? Nigeria. Okay. Yeah, Kaduna, Nigeria. Mm. Bro. That's insane, man. It's it's always... That's so when they insane. say, oh, they're very musical people. Yes, we are. We mm. always have been. We just don't realize it. You know what I'm saying? And then, like, I brought... So, so like Coltrane is one of my favorite artists, right? What he did with jazz music, because he came up in the in the forties and fifties mm -hmm. um, as a jazz musician, he was running with Miles Davis, and first he was running with Dizzy Gillespie, um, and Dizzy Gillespie was making bebop, mm -hmm. which was a new thing for jazz. So jazz in the twenties started with ragtime okay. you know you know that whole uh, yeah you know and then it's, it's kind of like upbeat square dancing yeah, yeah 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 so then it transformed into and in the 30s is when blues took over people like robert johnson you know the guy who they say sold his soul at the crossroads mm -hmm. that that type of blues but robert johnson was coming up from the south he was coming up from mississippi mm -hmm. right so that that happened then and then you throw in um, the 40s, Bebop, Charlie Parker. Um, damn, you know what? See, man, it's Come on, man. <laughs> I just, I literally just bought this today. Charlie Parker is 100 years old. Um, uh, he's, he's dead, but. So he took jazz and he put his spin on it. Right, so Coltrane was running with Dizzy. They was running with uh, Bird, and then Coltrane was running with Miles. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, in the fifties. So, to me, a Love Supreme is one of the greatest albums ever made. It's only four songs, and I actually wrote I wrote a paper on it. And so, it's only four songs. It's yeah. I didn't, and this is about to sound fucked up, and people don't judge me out there. I didn't know Thriller was like nine songs. Mm -hmm. I had no idea, and it's some of the most amazing music I've ever heard. Yeah, hearing it as an adult is way different. So, so okay, so if if you look at like Michael Jackson, um, and you look at that's migration, um, fuck is this? That's that's migration because as as kids, they recorded. Yeah. From Motown. Mm -hmm. They were in Detroit. From Gary, Indiana. From Gary, Indiana. Mm -hmm. So they were in Detroit with Barry Gordy. Um, 
and Tamla Records and and the Motown sound, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, he had that Quincy Jones. No, no, he had the the Barry Gordy influence. Mm-hmm. But then if you look at Michael Jackson in the '80s with Off the Wall, um, he he was transforming again. Mm-hmm. Then by the time the '90s came around, Michael Jackson is out in L.A. Mm-hmm. So now he's you know you got the beat it um you got you know the the all the dance shit Mm -hmm. you know remember the time that's probably the greatest video i've ever seen in my life yeah and and so that's migration Mm -hmm. as a as an artist you know what i'm saying so everything is migration is just when you go somewhere you're going somewhere and you're taking it higher and higher Mm -hmm. imagine if if michael jackson stayed with motown well, actually, Motown itself moved out to L.A. Mm-hmm. So imagine if Motown never left Detroit. His music would have never went to pop. It would have only been strictly R&B. Now, my question is, without without transcend, transcending, transcending into a pop icon, would his music still be the same? Or would he just be an R&B legend? He, just, he might be an R&B legend. He might be on the same level as Luther and Freddie Jackson, R&B legends. I fuss with Freddie Jackson. Who's, oh yeah. <laughs> whose who's music never really grew. It's, it's fucking great music, uh-huh. but it never really grew because they kind of stayed in that mm-hmm. bubble. It's, it's nothing big outside of the black community. Yep. You become a staple in the black community, which is cool, but... Nigga, Michael Jackson's like God, bro. So, <laughs> kind of. So it kind of goes back to to your point. Is you know how does white how do white dollars affect the culture? How do white people affect the culture? So you look at somebody like Russell Simmons, mm-hmm. who's coming up. You know, all right, cool. We got Def Jam. My brother and his friend, you know, back in the neighborhood, they can rap. All right, cool. I need y'all to rap. Oh, oh, there's a there's a young kid from from uh. Farmers Boulevard, he mm-hmm. can rap too. All right, cool. So, does Def Jam pop off without Rick Rubin? Mm. What you know? what I'm saying. Ooh, to take it a step further, do they become as successful to white people without the Beastie, the Beastie Boys? Boys? Yeah, yeah. Mm. So you know, do because I always thought I always thought the Beastie Boys were like the first. Um, like okay, so the Beastie Boys came out with License to Ill, mm-hmm. and then great fucking album by the way. Oh yeah. Oh god. And then LL Cool J Bad came out. Mm-hmm. That was like one of the first tapes that I bought. Okay. I always thought the Beastie Boys were first. No 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 no. LL Cool J was first. He had radio. Mm-hmm. He was already out. Yep. He was already out. Mm-hmm. Beastie Boys come along. Oh what they on Def Jam? Well what's Def Jam? Boom! Now you got a whole new audience. LL comes out by that association. Now he's blowing up. Um, does does Run DMC cross cross that cross that line without Aerosmith? Yo, I. <laughs> that's that's kind of crazy crazy that you bring up Aerosmith. Um, I'm going to say no because the placement that they had on MTV wasn't nearly as high until after Walk This Way came out. Mm-hmm. Um, damn near non-existent for hip-hop artists to even be on MTV. Now, mm-hmm. slashes with 
Aerosmith or slashes with Guns N' Roses? All right, switching topics, right? Um, and I'm pretty sure you're familiar with this. And I told I told Lauren because <laughs> I know what you're gonna say. <laughs> wait, wait, no, yes and no. But I told Lauren that I was like, I'm gonna bring this up on the episode so Aline could talk about this for 25 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but the one drop rule. Yes. Now on Twitter, somebody was like, they posted a picture of Slash and his brother, and they said two black kings. And somebody was like, Oh man, here goes people with this. They have even a uh have any uh, ounce of black in them now they're black kings and owning his blackness and one of the girls was like i never heard him come out and say that he was black ever his mom was uh i want to say a seamstress Mm -hmm. but she she did she did uh outfits for janet jets and diana ross and all that black woman Mm -hmm. but you never heard him say anything about that now could you give the audience uh I, I did, what is the the one drop rule? What is the one drop rule? Let's just start there. Okay, the one drop rule. Oh, this is about to be two episodes. I see this. <laughs> it basically says that anybody with an an ounce, one drop of black blood in your DNA mm-hmm. and you're black. Um, which is how you get the the topic of passing right okay passing was uh people and especially in the in the 20 so uh let's see let's take it back even further so that's kind of where you get the issue of um house nigger versus field nigger. okay because what the slave owners would do is they would be attracted to you know whatever person you know they would take the prettiest quote unquote the prettiest uh, slaves and they would put him in the house and he would have sex with them. So now you have a child that is half white, half black, or has black in them because maybe like Thomas Jefferson, you know the issue of uh, Sally, him and Sally Hemings. So he would he had six kids with one of his slaves, mm-hmm. right? While the man was still married mm-hmm. on the plantation, he's having sex and having kids along with his other kids and it did not come out until i remember hearing about it in the 90s mm-hmm. when people were doing this you know they were they were tracing the roots and they were like yeah thomas jefferson had black kids and now with hamilton coming out um and that picture of thomas jefferson's i think like sixth great great grandson or something in the picture next to him and he's like yes that's my that's my descendant so some people are like well, you're black, but you ain't black, black. Mm-hmm. Or you white, but you're not white, white. Mm-hmm. But it's like the the issue of passing was um, very fair-skinned people. Uh, logic. Yes. They may have looked. So imagine <laughs> logic. Logic in 1910, 1920, 1940, he could move in white society and nobody would ever know that he was black. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie Devil in a Blue Dress. Okay. Um, it, and talking about migration, if you ever watch that movie, if you watch the beginning of it, um, Denzel Washington's character is talking to a woman, and she's like, "Yeah, I'm going, I'm going back down south. You know, L.A. is too fast for me. Mm-hmm. That's migration." But the movie is centered around um, 
the like one of the characters, the the white lady, turns out that she's part black, mm-hmm. and they don't want that to get out. But then, excuse me, Denzel Washington's character, uh, Easy Rollins, figures it out. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of a lot of people in the '30s and the '40s, you know, the lighter you were, the more opportunity you had. Mm-hmm. So now you get the issue of colorism, mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, you light skin, you're quote unquote pretty, which means you can, you know, white people don't feel threatened. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more acceptable. So the one drop rule, you know, so so somebody like Logic in the 1920s, he might get on the bus and be able to sit in the front of the bus. Mm-hmm. But if somebody, say his mother gets on the bus with him, now he's got to go to the back because they're like, oh, that's your mother? Oh, you black. Guilty by association. Perceived guilt. Okay, all right. Cultural, all right. perceived cultural guilt. You know what I'm saying? So that's where the one drop rule comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get somebody like Slash, somebody like The Rock. Yeah. The Rock has never admitted that he's black. In recent years, In he has. In recent years. And that's kind of wild. Because one, now, okay, so another example. This, yeah, um, yes. Have you ever watched the TV show Psych? Look, wow. little quirky ass show. Yeah, right? yeah, you just come on USA. Yeah, so you know the white guy? Yeah. You know he's Mexican? No, I thought he was white. Right. Like, legit white. So his his name, his his uh, Hollywood name is James Roday. His given name is James Rodriguez. So he was told that once he started to get roles, um, I think once he got picked for the role for Psych, um, they told him that, hey, if you plan on making it in Hollywood, you might want to change your last name. Larry fucking Fishburne. Well, his name is Lawrence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Bubba Gump. Hmm? From the movie. Okay, so his Hollywood name is M.Y. K-E-L-T-I. McKelty. Okay. He's in a movie called Wildcats with Wesley Snipes and came out in like 84. Mm-hmm. His real name is Michael T. Williams, but he changed it. McKelty. It's the little thing. People change their names all the time. So, the, Jamie Foxx. Yes. His real name is Eric Bishop. Mm-hmm. But he said, he even said that he to changed sound better. To, to sound better and to sound um because the name Jamie is ambiguous. Mm-hmm. You don't, don't know, know if it right. Male so or he would and he's from you know, he said he's from Tyler, Texas, which, you know, is you know, he dealt with all kind of racism. So when he's trying he said when he's trying to get put on and he's trying to do his comedy, they would have like open mics. You put your name in the bowl, they pull your name out, you go on stage, do your thing. But if they knew who you were, you weren't getting on stage. So if they knew who Eric Bishop was he wasn't getting on stage. Mm-hmm. They didn't know who Jamie Foxx was. They didn't know if Jamie Foxx was a woman or Jamie Foxx was a man. So they just called the name Jamie Foxx. Here he comes up on stage. Ain't nothing they can do. It's too late. Mm-hmm. He's already he's already spitting his jokes. So, and it's, um, Charlie Sheen and Emilio the, Estevez. They're brothers. they brothers. Mm-hmm. And Charlie Sheen is not his real name. His real name is... I always was confused about that because the father still goes by Estevez too, or did? Did they father uh, pass? I think he's still alive. 
Um, I don't mean to be killing niggas off and stuff. Mm-hmm. Sweet chicks, sweet chicks is good. Nas on uh, restaurant in New York, really fucking good. Um, damn, I miss New York. I kind of shitted on y'all earlier, but y'all know what y'all be doing sometimes, bro. Don't nobody else matter, but y'all. Recording it? Did I record that? I don't know. I'm just I think I think I did. People are like, oh, you hate New York? Yeah, yeah, no, I I, lo- okay. I love it, but Char- god damn, sometimes y'all niggas Charlie be doing Shin, it. Carlos Erwin Estevez. That's his real name. Wow. Erwin. Right. Carlos Estevez. Oh, that. Oh, that's about as... That's about as Hispanic as you can yeah, get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, own that one. But he was like, ah, you know what? If I'm going to make it in Hollywood, I got to change my name to Charlie Sheen. And the name Sheen but from his... That, that goes hand in hand with the perception of black people in the names that they get, that they're given. Like, you see certain names on a paper, and you're going to be like, that's a nigga. <laughs> That's a, a Tyrone. You feel me? A, a Darius. Speaking of Darius. Um, shout out to Fat shout Man. Out, shout out to... <laughs> yo, yo, man. When he put that shit up on, on the gram, he ain't getting no... He ain't got some cutty. This son of a bitch. Hey, yo. If you listen to um, Black of the Berry by Kendrick Lamar... Love that fucking song. And there's a part where he, where he says... Um, black I'm is African American. I'm African. I'm black as the heart of a fucking Aryan. I'm mm-hmm. black as the name of Tyrone, Tyrone and Darius. Those mm. are actually French names. Mm. The name Leroy, Leroy, a French name. Huh. So you go to France and you'll see people named Darius. You'll see people named Tyrone. However, they say it. Natasha. Right. That's that shit. That's you know, that's French, right? I think it's Russian. Russian, I, but it's still, but we as as black people, we associate that with being a black name, a, a black woman, housing projects, shit like it's typical what they call ghetto names. You feel me? Like, so uh, it's it's crazy as shit. It's yeah. crazy. So all of that, you know, and then and then, um, but but back to the one drop rule. But yes, and it was actually I want to say Plessy versus Ferguson, nineteen. 19- 1911, I think. Yeah. In 1911, Arkansas passed the Act 320, House Bill 79, known as the One Drop Rule. Um, the law had two goals. It was made in uh, interracial cohabitation. No, 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 no. Or is there something different? So, Plessy versus Ferguson okay. um, established separate but equal. Okay, okay. Um. So, February 21st, 20, uh, no, no, that's the day. Uh, da, da, da. Plessy v. Ferguson was a landmark 1896 U.S. Supreme Court decision that upheld the constitutionality of racial segregation under the separate but equal doctrine. The case stemmed from an 1892 incident in which African-American train passenger Homer Plessy refused to sit in a car for blacks. You know what I'm saying? So you you have it legal that. So people are like, well, how can you know the United States not be this this utopia of of, of racial equality? The shit was legal, separate but equal. You know what I'm saying? The school system. So you had to get Brown versus Board of Education. Um, in the 1960s, um, a black man was trying to get into the University of Mississippi, and a judge deemed him, um mentally incompetent or deemed him crazy mm-hmm. and he needed to be committed to to a psych ward because he wanted to go to college we're we talking 1960 when, when was your pops born uh 1956 bro bro my, my parents was born in 1950 is that a spider 
Might be an ant. Yeah. And you plucked the shit out of that motherfucker. Still moving. So my mom was born in '55, but um, uh, skip through this. Uh, by 1910, 20 states classified. Oh, wait, uh, by 1910, 20 states classified citizens by blood fraction, most using one fourth or one eighth. However, parents also played a role in racial definition in pre. Pre-1911 Arkansas, as exemplified by the case of 1861 freedom case of Guy versus Daniel, in which slave Abby Guy was awarded her freedom largely because of her appearance and behavior. Before 1911, Arkansas's railroad segregation law defined Negroes as one in whom there is a visible and distinct admixture of African blood. Mm-hmm. So... Me and you would automatically be Africans. Mm -hmm. We would be black. We would be Negroes. We couldn't sit in the front of the bus. Logic, he can get away with it. But his dad is black. Yeah. So I, Have you ever seen what his dad looks like? Yeah. His dad is uh, very fair-skinned. Not, mm. not, maybe a little bit lighter than you. Wow. Yeah. But not, not too, he might be, speaking of Darius, he's about Darius's complexion. Okay. But he's not. Like, you would see his dad and be like, oh, yeah, you're black. Mm -hmm. um, I got a friend in Florida. Uh, she's white. Her husband is black. Um, but he he's from Trinidad. And I think his grandparents were from Venezuela. Um, wow. But, oh, you know, my man Rick is like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm black. You know what I'm saying? He grew up, moved here, grew up in Brooklyn and all that. But their, their daughter is very... Um, Brown skin, like like you can tell she's racially mixed. Mm -hmm. Their son has blonde hair and blue eyes. You don't know that he's black, mm -hmm. but he doesn't. He's like nine. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know the racial component that he's carrying. How we see it, mm -hmm. but if he told somebody, "Yeah, I'm 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 half black," they're gonna be like, "Uh, no, you're not." Like George George kids, George kids look just like him. Uh, just like him. I think I saw a picture from like a distance. Mm -hmm. um, um, but yeah, that's that's so so you have the the legality of the one drop rule, mm -hmm. you know, which is based on what somebody looks like. But then it's like now now people are moving in different circles because they're able to. Wow, yeah, wow. Look just they like look him. just like him. But his kids are half black. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if his kids grew up and they want to go to an HBCU, they could apply for a minority scholarship. Mm -hmm. Gary Owen. I saw a little clip of his, his stand-up. Um, his daughter's at A&T. Yes. Okay. Um, but he was, this was from a couple years ago. He was saying that, you know, people that are mixed, like his kids, he, he was like, oh, yeah, my son, you know, my son ain't too bright. You know, somebody, hey, man, you're mixed. You know, he's, he said his son would be like, yeah, I'm mixed, half mom, half dad. And they're like, no. <laughs> but, he said, <laughs> but he said his daughter is a black woman. Mm -hmm. He said he showed up for a daddy-daughter dance at her school. He walked in the classroom, and the teacher was like, hey, whose dad is this? And he said his daughter was sitting there looking at him. And he's looking at her like, hello. Mm -hmm. uh, he, she, and he says, she's like, oh, yeah, that's my dad. But 
you see that in a lot of mixed people. Uh-huh. They don't claim their white side. Uh-huh. Um, so let me see. Let me show. Let me show you a picture of my, my little homie Antonio. So that's them. Uh-huh. That kid doesn't look half black. Yeah. yeah. Right. You know what I'm saying? And that's just you know it's science. That's that's genetics. Ain't got no control over that. But, you know, as the one drop rule is people moving around and you're, you're able to get a better lot in life because of how you look, of how the perception of how you look. Um, so then you get people, you know, they, they get put on and they get famous and then they want to say, yep, I'm half black. Ha ha. Y'all let a Negro on the door. Mm-hmm. Is that wrong? Mm. Yeah, point there. Yeah, point there. I mean, I don't, I don't blame them. So yeah, yeah that's the one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, we're done with that episode. Uh, <laughs> uh, Baltimore County Five.